I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Dew. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day, life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Yay, here we are back with the Life Writing Podcast. We just got back from the Miami Book Fair. Why don't you talk did, about Well, about we did, and that. I will, but before I do all that, I want to talk about the amazing guest we have today. Oh, my God, yes. Patton Oswalt. Yeah, he's been here before, but he's back for more punishment. Can you believe it? <laughs> he is the first 
he's the first guest we've ever asked back. He's the first, first one. repeat guest. If you listened back to the podcast in the beginning, he got cut off. There was a power outage and, and he's always wanted to come back again. So now we finally have him. But yes, Steve, to your point, we want to talk about what's going on in our lives. I like that theme music. It's it just is, it's it's our lives are fun. Our lives are evangelical. So, or, no, we, wrong we just got back. <laughs> Storefront church. The Miami Book Fair. Miami is home for me. So it was very gratifying, but also a little bit weird to be back after many years because, you know, I left Miami when I got married 20 some odd years ago. Some people I haven't seen in almost that much time. It's a lot has changed. A lot has stayed the same. The newspaper building got torn down. But my high school crush, Mitchell Kaplan, who runs the book fair and is also the owner of Books and Books, was was there, got to see him. Yeah, that's it, one, you know, that's that whole story that he was one of the very first people, one of the first adults to look at you and realize that you that there was something going on with with your command of words and language and imagery. Those connections are so precious. You take a look at almost anybody who succeeded, and there was a coach or a teacher a mentor who saw them at a time when they needed to be seen. Did you, was there a part of you that, that really just rejoiced that he saw something in you? He read a handwritten 200 page manuscript when I was like a junior in high school. So of course the answer is yes. And then as an author, he put like a whole window display for my first novel, the between in the store window and and now he's a producer, so yeah, that's you know that's us. one of the best stories I know. And now they've optioned my novel, The Reformatory, which is the first time I've ever had a novel option before it was published. That's not even coming out until next year, so that's been great. And Steve, we also met a new writer friend. We met the author Jeff Lindsay, who wrote the Dexter series. Yeah, Jeff oh. Lindsay was a great guy. Holy I mean, cow. I, so I wanted to stalk him just to have a chance to kind of sit down. Did. Kind of, kind of. He told us about you know that he has people who who keep him safe from from, from the serial killer fans. <laughs> I'm sure he does. But that's yeah, just like the randomness. Wonderful multi-hour conversation with him, you know, over tea and and food on a very wide range of subjects. And I suspect we may have met a new friend. Yeah, I, how about I would that? like to interact with him again. It's like they say, I think Seinfeld said it, it's hard to make new friends after 30, but I think we, we made a new friend. And and also this week has launched our, our newest course, The Soulmate Process, which we talked about in last week's podcast in case you missed it. But just, you know, we, we, we have a great thing going here, Steve and I, and we took replicable steps, each of us, to prepare to meet each other. And we just want to share those steps with y'all. So it's uh, true. And people were coming up to you at the book fair conference at the book fair talking about how they wanted this and one one guy came up and talked about how our teaching he'd lost 100 pounds and he and his wife do this do the blessing dance from the soulmate process you know every day and hearing things like that just warms my heart because there is nothing in life more important than than learning doing and then passing on what you know and, and 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 love is so central. So if you're curious, check it out at www.soulmateprocess.com. But without further ado, yes, let's get to it. Let's introduce our next guest, Patton Oswald. 
has been headlining at comedy clubs all over the United States since 1996, as well as his own stand-up specials on Comedy Central, HBO, Netflix. His latest Netflix special is We All Scream. And as a writer, he's worked for Mad TV. He, I mean, this is an old bio patent. This was on IMDb. It's talking about like Starsky and Hutch. Doesn't even mention Ratatouille. <laughs> you were the voice of Ratatouille. Most importantly, I would say you do a podcast with your wife, actress Meredith Salinger. Did you get my text? as well as your new movie, which I saw on the plane just yesterday. I love my dad. Please welcome Patton Oswald. <laughs> so, uh, the room. There he is. Hello. Wow. <laughs> so How you doing, guys? Again. We're oh, doing great. We're doing and fantastic. Life is wonderful. Much to be thankful for. And you have a lot going. I'm going to start with the movie because you're a producer as well as really the star. I mean, this is a big role for you. And it's a dramatic, I mean, it's a comedy, but the role is really more dramatic in some ways. And what I say about, and I think everybody should go see I Love My Dad. And it is funny, but it's not funny for the reasons you think it's funny. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> talk yeah. to us a little bit about your choices and in, in process and doing tell, this tell people what it's about and how you got involved and yeah all the good stuff well i mean i was talking to a friend about this earlier i'm very lucky in that i guess one of my skills is that i watch a lot of movies so when scripts are sent to me i've seen so many movies and i know how movies can work and not work so i can i have a little bit of an advantage in that oh i can really see when a script pops and is going to do something really interesting and memorable. So this script went some very memorable places. It and, sure does. <laughs> um, I was very, very excited to, it, it, it had that great quality of, oh my God, I just want to see if they can pull this off. You know, that kind of feeling, which always to me is the sign of a great movie. So signed on as a star, signed on as a producer. I wanted to start learning how to produce and getting that stuff together. And we shot it summer last summer out in Syracuse, New York, and two summers ago. And yeah, that and it 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 really took on a life once it came out. Did COVID cause problems? Huh? Did COVID cause problems while you were while you were doing this? COVID. I mean, it's not that it caused problems. It's like, well, it's a different world now. It's going to be a slightly different regime. It's going to be a slightly different way to do things. And let's all take a breath and adjust. This sucks, but. I'm not I'm not this person that believes, you know, my art is worth dying for. I'd like to make art. I don't want to kill anyone doing it. And right. you know, I have an ego, but my ego is not that big. And <laughs> so, yeah, let's mask up. Let's test people. Let's make sure everyone's safe. Absolutely. COVID, we made sure that stunts were safe. The food wasn't spoiled. You're, you're look you look out for each other. You know, we're yes. all in this creatively. And then, yeah, I, I, it, it was one of those movies where I wanted to see, wow, can we pull this off? And and it, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's spoilery to say that the basic premise about the film is a father who's so desperate to be in touch with his son that he catfishes him. Which, if you don't know the lingo, is basically you're pretending to be someone else, and that's all I'm gonna say. He pretends to be someone else yes. on social media, and let the games begin. And you know, the last time you were on the show, Pat, and we talked a lot about the horror comedy nexus. Yeah, and it's so interesting that even though this is a comedy. <laughs> I also had that knot in my stomach and I wanted to cover my eyes for so much of the film because it also was pushing my horror button because well, it's it, so transgressive and whoa. Yeah, it, it, it's such an extreme example of that 
Hitchcock principle of show the audience the bomb, then have people come into the scene and start doing something else. And you're like, there's a bomb in there. <laughs> right. And it's <laughs> exactly. like, this bomb is an, it is filled with emotional shrapnel where yes. like, this goes off and it will go off. How do they recover from this? You know? So it, it movie does a lot of really interesting things storytelling wise in, in that it shows you a bomb that you know will go off. So it's more about not if will the bomb go off, it's no. how are they going to deal with this you know, the aftermath? And, and yes, it's just you know, well, anyway, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to. I have it. to ask a question. I, I mentioned that whenever I meet people who I consider to be masters of their craft, and that's not saying, you know, you're the best that's ever existed and nobody could be any better. It's not that. It's you, you have your chops and you're on the path and others can follow your steps and, and learn from it. You've played in humor as, as the core of what you're doing, but you spin off, you've spun off into other things. You're touching on horror here, apparently mm -hmm. you're touching. And so if that, that next is, and I know you love horror. So yeah. I would love to hear you speaking a little bit about how you take everyday life in things that are horrible, like that guy getting get, that street fight you saw outside the bar. Yeah. You know, and you mm. split. It was hysterical the way you talked about it, that that humor is one of the ways we keep sane mm -hmm. in the midst yeah. of horror. And well, I'd like to, I'd love to hear you speak about humor. How you how do you do that? How do you transform horror hey. into, into, into laughter? Well, yeah. because to me, they're one and the same. A lot of times humor is I am retranslating and recontextualizing a horrible thing I saw and putting it in a bigger cosmic contest context so that we can laugh at it and deal with it. Although horror does exactly the same thing. There is a much bigger abstract existential fear out there, but I'm going to represent it as vampires or zombies or ghosts right. or possession. Every horror tale going back to old folk tales, you know, Hans Christian Andersen and the, and the Grimm brothers Grimm is just taking normal fears about sickness, disfigurement, death, abandonment, and recontextualizing it in a way that you can then process it. You, you know, every, especially now with what the, the horror genre is doing with movies like, you know, Barbarian and Black Phone and stuff like that, they are dealing with a lot of, now a lot of traumas are being brought to light. And that is how we, a lot, that's how initially we deal with it through genre stuff. Yeah, in the in the eighties, because we watch a lot of slashery stuff, but watching a lot of Friday the Thirteenth, <laughs> it was all about our transgressions inviting the horror. Right? It's like you smoke a cigarette, you get laid, you get naked, you're about to die. And I think more directors and horror creators now are pivoting to, like you said, trauma as the doorway to horror oh, yeah. because it's so universal. We've all suffered some kind of trauma. We've all suffered some kind of grief. And if you can give a face to it, that isn't the thing itself to re-traumatize us, but that helps us see what it feels like. We feel less alone with it, frankly. Well, I think. And also what's really ironic is a lot of times genre films and movies, books, music, comics, what have you, have hidden a lot of that trauma. You know, a lot of what happened to First Nations people was made to look heroic in mm -hmm. Western films or made to look 
romantic in a film mm-hmm. like Pocahontas. And when you revisit some of those movies, you're like, oh, wow, that's actually not what's going on here at all. At all. So, right. You know, and that, by the way, that even goes down to, I don't know if you're watching Andor on Disney Plus, which is this new Star Wars series, which is almost about the, the, the formation of the empire from the empire's point of view Almost. and the kind of fear and insecurity that created this evil empire. I'm not trying to excuse something like the evil empire or even the Nazis, but the roots of Nazism come from people feeling like I'm going to be replaced. I'm yes. And then somebody taking advantage of those fears for profit, profiting yes. off that horror. So looking at those roots where you see that oftentimes the people that were dealing out the trauma, the reason they were dealing that trauma out was they were traumatized to begin with. Yes. Hurt um, people hurt people. Exactly. Yes. So that we're really starting to uh, look at that in a really interesting way. There was, there, there was a great movie that came out a couple of years ago called Riders of Justice, which is a Norwegian action film that starts off like every Liam Neeson taken film and then starts going into these other areas that the Taken films don't explore because they want to be fun action movies. And by the way, it delivers plenty of action, plenty of violence, but it puts it in a different context. You're like, oh, oh, I didn't even think about it this way. Yes. A film called Bakuru or Bakurau that came out Mm. a few years ago. Amazing film that ostensibly an action film, kind of a running man purge type film, but is actually about colonization and corporate displacement of indigenous peoples that they uh, are smuggling into a very, very fun action film. You know, I <laughs> wow. People talk about, you know, heroes in comic books and villains in comic books. How dare you make them three-dimensional? How dare mm-hmm. you suspect how dare you suggest that Adolf Hitler might have been a human being? How <laughs> how dare I right. consider that our founding fathers were complex beings who can't quite be put into any category purely and that that is something that it is important for us to understand that the most flawed of us can create beauty and the yes. most beautiful of us can create horror to to yes, look at that problems. is beyond a lot of people you know yeah. it, and if you if you look at that i guess it's non-dualistically you'll get crucified but also i don't even blame people for not looking at it on right. that deep level because most people it's a struggle every day just to fucking get through the day i understand if you there's enough trauma out there like i've I've never understood these people that are so against like why are they giving these kids a participation trope it's like if it makes you feel any better life is going to get plenty shitty for them before you know it how about you let them have a childhood (laughs) and then they will live in this horrible Lord of the Flies world that you seem to want all kids to be fed into because of clearly the trauma that you grew up with. Right. Amen. And nobody helped you. Nobody held your hand. Nobody gave you a trophy. That's the part that gets to me is, is people who don't want better for the next generation. I know. Hey, but by the way, I, I agree. The way that you were raised sucked. You shouldn't have had to go through that. So why are you perpetuating it? Exactly. Yes. You know, exactly. I think that it, you know, you're like- you dealing that. You passing that trauma on will not make the memories of your trauma go away. Yeah, Nietzsche was wrong. That'll happen, but it won't. It is not that that which which does not kill you makes you stronger. It is that which does not kill you that is within your body mind's capacity to adjust to and grow from makes you stronger. Yeah, you can be broken and still alive. You can can be broken all the time and still here. 
Yeah. Now, the, the trick is to give our kids enough stress to challenge them, but not push beyond the point where they can healthfully adjust to it. And one of the things kids need is to believe that they are loved and that yeah. someone sees them. Do you, do you see me? I'm here, you yeah. know, and yeah, let them dance in the living room and throw them quarters. You know, when they're little kids, that memory that there was someone who loved them needs to last a lifetime. Yes. Give them that basis. And, and we're seeing the results. Oof. A lot of right now, the world is kind of in the hands of a lot of grown up, unloved kids. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. One in particular and, that we don't even need to mention yeah. the name, but very but clearly. There's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of unloved kids that are deciding yeah. our future. And I mean, that is kind of the way it's always been. But I guess we naively thought, well, by the year 2022, we'll be so advanced. No, no, we'll have a long way to go. That's the thing that the 1950s movies got wrong. Well, they got a lot wrong. They got a lot wrong about our our, our capabilities, our colonies in space. All that was also wrong. Yeah, guess what? There are some social issues you're going to have to resolve. You notice when worlds collide, you were only taking one sort of person off the planet. You let everybody else die. Did you even notice that? Guess what? You ain't going to the stars and leaving us to clean up your mess. And I love, yeah. But I love in that movie, the tension is, hey, they're only taking the rich ones white people that's not right come on we're, we're all one people here you gotta take some poor white people yes yes and also, yeah the, and, and the ones that were supposed to be sort of allegories for getting along with the other you know in terms of the alien as the other but literally no representation outside of white well, males I, except look, for some of the women bringing coffee maybe literally <laughs> literally when i was starting out in the field octavia butler and i were the only black people in science fiction in the world that we knew of for 20 years really? and we yeah i mean for 20 years I mean, changed I, a lot I, now thank I, you you know she would they'd have they put green people on the covers of her books but they wouldn't put black people and and, <laughs> and, and literally i would be told well the aliens and the robots they represent black people. And it's like, holy crap. Do you no. even realize what you're saying about yeah. yourself? No, they don't. When you say that, <laughs> we you know, just how we am I that. supposed to deal with this? Because art is being willing to reveal yourself to your audience. Yeah. And if you get the feeling that your audience does not want to know who you are, it takes a special sort of either courage or insanity to say, I'm still going to do my best. I'm still going to represent yeah. to the limit of my capacity. I don't know. Right how how much I've got in me, but I'm not going to let their problems stop me from living a full life if there's any way I can do that. And yeah. that's... And you know, it, it, it sucks too, because you do have to... I remember when I worked with... I did one of my first weeks as a professional comedian, I worked with Bill Hicks. And we yes. didn't become friends or anything, but I was marveling at what a genius he was. And one of the few things he said to me, because then I tried to impress him all week, like, I'm going to be dark and edgy. And I would go out and almost like attack the audience. And then he just said... You have to walk them to the edge, Patton. You can't just start out. Even he's, everyone always talks about it. Bill Hicks with it. Bill Hicks' first 15 minutes was the most accessible, brilliant, would work anywhere comedy. He would get the audience in a mood and then he would start putting in the theme. So, yes, we can look back at a lot of these. I'm sure there were a lot of 50s, 60s, 70s filmmakers, writers, whatever, that were very, very aware. But unfortunately, they were also aware of, I know how much American society can take right yes. now. Yes, that's true. Know how everybody is. You know, so and we don't know what battles they were losing. Totally ease them into you know. it. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. 
In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I had a a major issue with a cultural event recently that I won't go into, but I could feel myself wanting to go over the edge about it. Mm. And I reached out to someone who is more senior in terms of much more successful financially and and being in the business than I am. And I asked him what he thought about this issue. And he made a very important point that you kind of have to ask yourself, what is your goal? If your goal is to uplift if your goal is to help, if your goal is to create opportunities for others, then sometimes you have to take the good that's in something and and do the best you can. You know, yeah. if, I, if I have vast respect for, let's say, Sidney Poitier, yeah. there's no question that he was very aware of of the of the line he was walking. Oh, he never didn't feel that boot on the back of his neck in terms of, you know, what he was pushing against. And I mean, for what he did in the context of the time unbelievably brave unbelievably brave and now but within the context of now it can look a little limited and insulting some of the stuff that not only he chose to do but that he was forced to do he's like well i mean and by the way this isn't anything to show you how far back we were the beverly hills cop which was supposed to star sylvester stallone at the last minute he dropped out eddie murphy showed up carried that movie by himself, made up all his dialogue, like like a friggin' movie star. But he goes and meets that white woman that he also grew up with that we're old friends with. And in the original script, they have a romance. And that of was course. The thing that got and cut they out. They're like, cut it out. Nope. Because nope. they knew, yes, audiences love watching this black character show up these uptight white Beverly Hill people. No, but he can't fuck their women. No, that's right. no, but they, he can't know what the limits are. And he can't so fuck frustrated. any women. Patton, no black <laughs> man had ever had sex in a movie that an American film that earned over hundred million dollars until 2015. It took until 2015 Creed in 2015. Will Smith didn't do it. Denzel didn't do it. If they had, if they dropped trial, the movie did not cross that magic barrier. So there have only been two movies with black actors, Creed and Creed two, and only one with an Asian crazy rich Asians. Those are the only ones who ever got across that line. By the way, this is something I talk about a lot with Samuel L. Jackson. When they brought him into The Long Kiss Goodnight with Gina Davis, (laughs) they took the romance out to the point where the title no longer even makes sense. Yeah, the original title was that she asked him to make love to me. This is the last time I'm ever going to be pretty. You know, and they have this beautiful thing. And then he dies protecting her. When they bring Sam Jackson in, I could feel the audience. They knew where this chemistry was going. You know, if you know movies, you know that these two people are going to get together and they're going to have sex. And then this is, this is, that's going to happen. And I think that the movie got more popular as the years went by because people were basically saying, don't worry, they don't screw. (laughs) (laughs) But again, there is that, 
it's very, very frustrating. But a lot of times part of being able to make things progress forward is to know how far you can take it and then leave the baton for the next person to run with. You, you are so, so right. fucking frustrated. Like, I, I, I can't imagine how frustrating it must have been for some of the writers at Marvel, especially someone as as aware as Stan Lee, when you look back and it's very cringy when they go, well, the X-Men stand in for gay people and black oh, people. Right. It's like, but they're but none of them are gay or black. <laughs> right. They just openly have gay, trans, non-binary people of color in the X-Men. And it's not even a thing about it anymore. But back then it's like, this is how fucking far we can push it. We know how far we can go. But if you can get that, really, if you if you can understand that pun, it makes sense of human history. That, I know. It, I, I look at it like like our society is like a caterpillar, and progressives are on one end, and conservatives holding on to the past, the things that work, because most mutations do not create X Men. Most mutations create cancer. So <laughs> we, it, it's not. It makes sense that there is a, yeah. a limit to how fast we can go. Sweetheart, you, you were going to say that. Well, I, I, I had a, a something, especially related to, to comedy, because I listened to I listened to Kevin Hart's interview program with comedians, and I love oh, yeah. I love Pop and Fortune every morning. And I, I feel bad that so many of my favorite comics are feeling singled out, feeling singled out by by what people call cancel culture, which to me is what, what I call sort of evolution, you know, as more groups get more of a mouthpiece and get to say, you know, it does hurt my feeling if I'm gay and I hear a lot of F-bombs. It really, it pulls me out of the show and, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and all this kind of thing. And, and I think, Patton, you've always been really good about this sort of embracing the new and, and I don't know. I'm just wondering what advice you would give to any artist, really, but comics in particular, because I feel like they're on the front lines of this. Like they're supposed to be edgy. They're supposed to be transgressive, but then they get the pushback. First off, I've never been good at it. I've just always been willing to go, oh, God, did I fuck that up? And then I've gotten better at it. But there is stuff on my first couple of albums that is beyond cancelable. Um, <laughs> that, you know, I was doing that on my third album. I say the N word because I'm trying to make fun of racist people that can't accept Obama. And I'm doing that giant right. ironic racism because I stupidly thought, well, we have a black president. Racism's over. It's like, oh, you naive white <laughs> hipster. Holy <laughs> It. But I think it, as far as like, you know, com- really, really good comedy is hard to do. Pushing the edge is very hard to do. And now everyone thinks, well, everyone should be able to do it. Sarah Silverman does it. Michael Che does it. Yeah, because th- they're geniuses. They actually know how to skate on the line like that. You are a guy on Twitter with your name and then nine numbers after it. You probably don't have the the, the brain waves to, to pull that off. So maybe... Hang back a little bit. You can still be a good and valuable person if you're not funny. And if you're a comedian like me, who I'm trying to be funny, part of it has to be there's this weird no apologies culture right now that I think comes mm. from a lot of insecure masculinity and just yes. humanity out there, which is like, I will never I will never have any regrets. I'm like, what kind of life is worth living where you don't get to the end? There should be a couple things you look back on and go, yikes. That means that you lived a life and you made mistakes and you learned I've made mistakes. I've said, and I just go up. Oh, sorry about that. I used the, I used the R word in a joke. I wasn't making fun of people who were mentally handicapped, but I, I, but in, in the, in the time I thought, Oh, I'm making this brilliant ironic point. But when you look back on it, you're like, ah, it's just, 
You're just doing it for shock value and it's lazy. So always, why would you not want to make your shit better? Why would you not want to make your shit better? There were things that worked in movies for years and now people are like, that's been done. To, you know, the, the scary movie where they're coming and they open a door. Oh, my God, a cat jumps out. Oh, God. Thank God. It was just the cat. Ah! And then the thing jumps out. Yes, that has always worked. But can't we move something else? Right. Do something move fresh. Beyond it. Well, well, well think- that's what I meant. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, go, go for it, T. No, I was just going to say that's what I meant about you being good about it. I've seen you yeah. evolve. I've seen your willingness to evolve. And, and I just think it's great. That was I awesome. don't know why people just don't go, holy shit, my bad. Wow, I didn't know better, and now I do. Well, it depends on whether or not your commitment is to being the best you can be or to thinking you're the best you can be. Right. Wow, that's a great way to put it. Yes, that's the difference between ego and hubris. Ego is like, yes, obviously I have an ego about myself, but this ego forces me because I want to be the best rather than I'm already the best. (laughs) Yes. Any improvement. Yes, you have to. I can't touch this. You, you have to continually. You're you're going to have an ego as long as you have a body, but you have to yeah. continually break the ego, put yourself in situations where your ego can get shattered. It is not comfortable. No. You know, it, it 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 can be horrible. I can remember you know being curled up on the floor, crying my eyes out because my ego had been totally shattered and I could not <laughs> even see a way forward in life. Right. And and as you can imagine, it led to some of the greatest breakthroughs and recontextualizations and, and realizing I'm not who I thought I was. I am yeah. this this being who's here for just a little while in life. And yeah. I can I can the more heat it takes heat and pressure to make diamonds. How yeah. much heat and pressure can I take? In, my <clears throat> ego shell will crack, but my soul, my soul, my spirit will not. And so I have to keep you know, letting go of anything I think I am. Not that, not that, not that. I, I remember talking with Brad Bird about the one scene that he thought was missing from Return of the Jedi, which a film he still loved, but he was like, there should have been a scene. Luke goes back to Dagobah and he's talking with Yoda and he goes, you told me not to leave. I told you you were wrong. My friends are in trouble. And a hero goes and helps his friends. I went to help them, got my ass kicked, got my hand cut off, got my friends in even worse trouble because I showed up. Now they're even in even worse trouble because I almost handed the emperor me. I almost like screwed everything up. Like I, I, I am a, I completely failed. And then Yoda should go, now you're a Jedi. Oh, <laughs> that would have been an amazing. Oh, that that's, that would that's have amazing. been great. Brad yeah. Bird is an amazing storyteller. Yeah. The Incredibles is the best superhero movie that mm-hmm. probably will ever be done because it, it it just existed at a particular moment and it did something we always wanted to see. Yes. Yeah. Well, you need, you need that stuff. You know, one one of the qualities that I, I love in your stand up is the storyteller in you, Patton. Mm-hmm. You know, not not to get you know too deep into it, but there are some moments in some of your more recent specials that remind me of that vibe from like the Richard Pryor era, where he was just like letting all his shit hang out and finding ways to make that okay. funny. I'm gonna uh, stop you really quickly. I, thank you for that. <laughs> um, Richard Pryor exists on such a different level. I mean, the I candor that other comedians exist on. But thank you. But he was raw in ways that were almost detrimental to him. I'm so obsessed. That with were him. detrimental. Yeah, that were detrimental. No one yeah. has made has yet made the definitive film about his story because I think it would be too hard to capture on film. But who? But then again, me saying that right now, there is some filmmaker out there, he or she, that we don't even know exists 
that will find a way to capture it. But my, I remember I went to a night at the Egyptian theater. They did a whole night of all of his concert films, including an early rough version of Richard Pryor live in concert. I don't know if you've seen Richard Pryor live in concert, but at the beginning, there's a shot. He's not in that big theater. He's in the comedy store. He's in this smaller room. Mm. There's balloons. Uh, or maybe he's in a church. Anyway, and, and he's doing some crowd work and he gets a big laugh. But I saw that whole uncut thing and it is death. The audience is absolutely not ready for him. And he goes <laughs> into his junkie character and he starts swaying back and forth. And he's like, I'm sick. And the audience is dead silent. They're like, they're, they weren't ready for him. Okay. Be, Did you ever funny. see him live? No, I never got to see him live. Yeah, I, I saw him live. When? It was on it was on Sunset Boulevard. It was it was it was I think it was that the concert. That's that strip. It was. Wait, yeah, it, wait it, it was, what night did you go to? Because remember the first night he came out and went down in flames and cut the concert short because like because he was he wasn't ready yet to talk and then he went and huddled with Paul Mooney and everybody and then that second night that he came out that was at the uh, either was it the Palladium or the Pantages. That second night, that's what the concert. I think was. it was. The, I think it was the Palladium. I'm not sure, but my my my, my buddy who who had got got us the tickets might remember what it was. But all I know was I had never felt anything like that in my life. Always willing to go that far out on the edge. Well, you're you're not going that far out, Patton. But I was Thank making you. the comparison because you know you're you're mining your own life and your own story and your own trauma for laughs like on that stage and and it's 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 valuable for all of us i think because we all have to learn how to find the humor in our tragedies and our stories i'm wondering was it hard to get back on the road after covid i know everybody wanted to get back on the road couldn't wait to get back on the road but i had practically forgotten how to drive i had forgotten (laughs) how to airport so was it challenging to get back on the stage and and touring and the it was two things. It, yes, it was challenging getting the rhythms back. Of, I remember it, it took me a week to pack. I forgot how to pack. Like, I was like, what do I bring? Wait. Oh, that's right. I got to bring extra pants. Okay. Like, like I just, because I had spent like, you know, a year in my pajamas. I didn't even know how clothes work. <laughs> right. <laughs> on one, one hand, there was that. But then on the other hand, there was everybody. I just remember pe- people being so happy that they were out. The energy was incredible. They were, they couldn't believe we're out again. We're out watching a show. This is fantastic. And that energy really kind of, boy, you know, lifted me. And so those first few months were, I got to say, were fantastic. It yeah. was fantastic. I was happy. The audience was happy. It was great. That's wonderful. Yeah. Just, you know, that somebody was talking about how actors have the hardest time of it because they're the product and their faces are out there. I said, I think it's comedians. Because you get the feedback is happening, you know, in real time. Oh boy, your yeah. face, your story, your whole vibe. Yeah, yeah. and you, and you got to be willing to, you know, especially when you get older. One thing that that helps being an older comedian is like I'm I'm doing nights here. I'm in, I'm at the Irvine Improv working on the new hour, and so there was some stuff last night that it was not fucking working. Not ready yet, huh? But you're able just to go. Oh boy, is this bombing? Oh my, I thought there was something here. And like, you can start making that funny. There's a comedian named Jim Norton who his Instagram account is, I think, very helpful for young comedians because he will put up sets of himself at the Comedy Cellar in New York trying out new stuff. And half the time, the the bit just ends with him going, Oh, is this bombing? Oh my God. (laughs) Wow. Does the audience appreciate that honesty? 
Yeah, and at one point he literally, one of the videos is him going, thank you for helping me murder that bit. That's the third time I tried it. In my mind, I was going to make it work, and you just showed me I was wrong, and I'm going to give it the death it deserves. And it's actually <laughs> well, kind of beautiful. That's Well, one thing a lot of people in the audience may not realize is that once you see that comedy special on Netflix, you have basically taken away that comic's routine. They're not going to do it on the road anymore. They have to start over again. Mm -hmm. That's why we have Gabriele Iglesias is going to be down the street at the Ontario Improv in December, probably working on his new uh, set. (laughs) And I love how people that don't know comedy are like, well, I guess uh, Gabriel's not doing that well. He just (laughs) Dodger Stadium and now he's, it's like, Yes, because then we go and work it out and smoke. What, do you think that? Do you think that once Gabriel does Dodger Stadium, the only thing he can do after that are are venues that size, or he's failing? Like he's working on new. He's a craftsman. And you don't exist at Dodger Stadium level every day of your life. No, and you can't do that, but you, you'll never exist at Dodger Stadium level unless you've done those small. Exactly, he knows that. Well, last time you were on with us, you talked about meditating as one of your ways of coping. Do you have any new tricks you've learned to sort of keep yourself centered and balanced? Or would you go more deeply into your thoughts there? No, I mean, I'm just, uh, meditation is, someone described it to me and it was so helpful. It is a practice. Mm -hmm. It's not something you will ever fully master. You will never have, you know, they always show meditation in movies as you go in the head and then you're in this other land. No. You, there are some days you go deep, other days, thoughts and truth. It is a practice. You practice. And so I try to practice twice a day. And now what I've really taken up is trying to walk for an hour a day. That has made a huge difference. Walking oh. mindfully. It oh can be God, a, yeah. an absolutely complete practice yes. uh, in and of itself yep. you know, for it's health. It's, yeah. it's on everybody's top 10 list of exercises for health. And if you do it mindfully, it's an amazing meditation. Walk around in the sun. Yes, absolutely. Sun. Breathe clean air, as clean as it can be, first thing in the morning. Yes. You know, notice every half inch of your foot making contact with the ground. Pay attention to what's around you. Mm-hmm. If you can get into a rhythm, it can feel like you're standing still and the rest of the world is moving around you. And that is I haven't amazing. gotten there yet. <laughs> oh, it's an amazing <laughs> feeling. Do you walk alone, Patton? Do you sometimes, walk with Meredith? Sometimes Meredith comes with me, but sometimes if it's early, she's like, sweetie, mm. I'm staying in bed. Out you go. Have fun. Mommy's going to stay in bed. We had, <laughs> a few days ago, I was, we were walking through our neighborhood and I went and did a, I did an event. And one of the guys at the event was like, you know, I was, um, I was driving through, I saw you and your wife on a walk. I didn't, I don't know you. I'm meeting you for the first time now. So I didn't bother you. You guys were out doing your walk, but it was weird because you were, I was visiting William Shatner and you were walking right by his house. So now Somewhere in my neighborhood is William Shatner, <laughs> and I can't figure out which house. So it's like the Shatner hunt is going on. It's going like, to be knocking on doors. <laughs> <laughs> Trick or treat. Well, it's great that you're in a creative couple. You know, Meredith is an yeah. actress, and, and you're, I mean, how how helpful is that to 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 be in partnership with, with someone who, who's, you do a podcast together. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's very helpful because we can, there's a lot of shorthand now that we can use where it's like, I'm in a mode. Like, like when she is, hey, like wants to come in and talk, but she, there's just that look on her face of like, oh, he's in it right now. Leave him alone. We'll talk later. It's not crucial, you know, and same with her. Like, oh, you're in, you're in a mode. You're on to something. You're surfing a wave. I'm going to leave you alone. Yes. I can was there a moment? I needed you to do, I'll go, I'll go put the dishes in the dishwasher. Who cares? Go yeah. was, there, was there a moment when you 
realized that there was a spark here, that there was something here that you wanted to nurture, that there was a, you know, we define a soulmate as someone who, when you meet them, you can see your future opening before you and they feel the same way. So was there a moment? No, there was not a moment. That's the, and we always were very open about that. There was never a specific, oh, here it is. We just started talking with each other online. We have all these, we had all these friends in common and one of her friends had a, has a, has these, dinner slash salon where she brings in all these different people and just has them bounce off each other. She's just really extraordinary. That actress, Martha Plimpton, she's just an extraordinary human being, like an actual searcher. Mm. And, and she had some dinner party and I was invited to it. And so was Meredith. We didn't know each other. And then I wasn't able to go because I was traveling. I'm like, I can't make it. I'm stuck in Austin or something. And then, so then Meredith wrote me a thing like, oh, you missed the best lasagna you've ever had. And then I wrote back like, ah, story in my life. And then she, and then we just started, like, it was like two people, but it was only over Facebook messaging, nothing on the phone, nothing face-to-face. It was just our minds kind of pouring out into the ether at each other. And so, and that went on for three months. We never spoke or talked to each other for three months. It was just every night, nine o'clock, you in bed, what's going on? Like, and that was it. And then that, so it's like, we fell in love that way. It was mm. the closest thing to like a Victorian epistolary romance. Well, Aww. Steve and I were lucky enough that we met briefly for a weekend first, but oh. for the next year, a year and a half, that was pretty much our story. I was in Miami. He was in Washington state. So it was all email, all email. So a yeah. romance that spanned a continent. Yes, That's right. I, mean, I, I saw, I feel like I saw her. She told a story about how she got Stephen King to blurb her second novel. And I, I when she was doing it, I just, I feel like I saw her. I, I, I said, my God, she's so smart in the way that she set that up. And I, and it just, it hit every part of me. And I realized, oh my God, we're in, we live in, we could not live further apart in the continental United States. No. She's leaving tomorrow. <laughs> you know, we need to create some kind of a connection here. And, and, and what I did was I, I looked, so I've got to get her attention. We were both at this thing. So I looked around the room and two seats away from me, there was a baby, there was a woman with a baby on her lap. Yeah. And I looked at her and I said, excuse me, ma'am, could I borrow your baby? And she said, she said, what? I said, I, I, I'm a father. I miss having babies to play. I don't want to take the baby out of the room. Can I just play with the baby right here? So I had been a, a speaker at the at the conference. And so she knew who I was. And she probably thought I wasn't necessarily a serial killer. There was a chance that I wasn't a baby eater. So she loaned me her baby. And I literally got down on the floor in front of Tananari, who was down off the stage signing autographs. I got down on the floor and started playing with this baby. And believe me, I noticed. It was like, there you <laughs> go. Look, was look at him. That was a good Steve, one. Steve's got game. I like it. You know what we, do? we look around. What What are the tools I can use? What's here? What can I improvise? So you, you MacGyvered a romance using a baby. I love it. Exactly. But the beauty of it is, Pat, and he was sincere. You know, he was done. Yeah. His daughter was 18 already when we had our son. So he could have been done. And but instead, he was starting over again. And, and so it, it was, it was advertising. I, what I saw in her, I saw my future. I saw someone. I saw something I'd never seen before. I felt something I had never felt before. Mm-hmm. And I was willing to humble myself completely. You know, it was saying in the most sincere way possible, Give me a chance. Let me show you who I am. If there's something here, I will love you all my life. 
You know, just just I will give you whatever it is that I can. Will you stop for just a moment and see whether or not what I'm feeling is something something real for both of us? Yeah. And 25 years later, we're you know I love them more than ever. Almost 25. Well, Patton, you mentioned. I know you have to go soon, but you also mentioned something a lot of people don't know, which is you have a comic book out. Tell us about that. Yes. Hi, this was a, it's a comic called Minor Threats. It's by Dark Horse is putting it out. My writing partner, Jordan uh, Blum, Bloom, who is another big comic book geek like us and like me. And basically what it's about is it's about D-level, street-level supervillains, the kind of supervillains, I don't want to control the world. I don't want to take over everyone's minds. I want to rob this bank, make 50 grand, live high for six or seven months, and pull another job. That's it. You know, I have these minor powers I can use in this way. Yeah, Paste Pot Pete in Spider-Man. Yes, well, we have a guy named Pigeon Pete. Yes. Uh, That's one of our guys. So we we both have an affection for these level of criminals. But what happens within this city and this world where there are A-list superheroes and A-list supervillains, an A-list supervillain kills an A-list superhero sidekick. And now suddenly everything is different. It's like, you know, this is this world's JFK assassination. Oh. Heroes are coming down like, like a police state on steroids. It's making things very difficult for just the everyday criminals so they're like maybe we should help capture this a-list criminal hand him over to the heroes get some points in the favor bank so we can you know have a little breathing room so it becomes more about like it's about status and stuff like that and, it, and so, and it's m i like it, it. Did m in a superhero well world. it started off here's how it started off I had an idea for a Batman story based on M. It was called J, and it's about the Joker breaks out of Arkham Asylum. Batman is making life hell in Gotham for all the lower-level villains because he needs info from them. So a C-list of villains, Copperhead, Crazy Quilt, Calculator, Crime, get together and try to help. They they form a shaky alliance to turn in uh, the Joker, Joker so that the Batman will go, okay, I owe you, you get this much wiggle room with me. Right. Um, yeah, it's absolutely M. And, uh, but, but, where do you, but I use it as a springboard to build to, we, this whole other world and universe where one thing we really liked was that there's clearly 60 years of continuity in this world that you see as background detail. Like there was a huge kaiju fight and where the kaiju fell and died the, the bones are left over. They've now turned into like green space and living areas. And ah. like they've just run with, because this is the low level part of the city where they don't send in cleanup crews as quick as they do to the high level part of the city. So the residents just make use of what's there. <laughs> it sounds super fun. Wonderful. What happens in, that's what happens in urban settings. A lot of people are like, you know, they're not fucking coming down here. So what yeah. can we use this for? Is that dark horse? Dark Horse, yeah. And, yeah. and clearly we're influenced by Black Hammer and Astro City and comics like that. But this is, you know. So, it sounds like so much fun. Sounds, I can't wait. So much fun to write. Yeah, that is great. Yeah. And it's coming out in, in early December. Um, no, no. It, it's been out. The new issue, issue four, which is the final one of this of this arc, comes out December 7th. But the first three issues are out. Great. Get them. Download them digitally. Buy them. It, you'll love it. It I'm sounds absolutely. Minor threats. Minor, minor threats. threats. We're getting minor all threats. the plugs in for minor threats. Run, don't walk to see. I love my dad. 
that, you know, you've said that you have to, you, that you, you've taken this time out of your very busy schedule to be with us. So we're going to let you go. We're going to give you even a couple extra minutes, but thank you so much for being back on the podcast, Patton. Thanks for having me back. Oh my God, no power outage this time. I'm so happy. I know, right? That's wonderful. It all worked out great. Well, you know, have a great set again tonight or a better set tonight. Let's I'll try. And, I will. Uh, <laughs> happy Thanksgiving and happy oh. holidays. And let Thanks, us all guys. have a great 2023. Please. Great Please. to see we, you we again. Deserve it. We do. Thank you very much. Have Take care, Pat. Bye. Take care, buddy. Bye. 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 Well, that is... So great. That was wonderful. That was just wonderful. And I I think it's, I'm so glad that he is happy in his life. Yes. Uh, He seems healthy. His marriage sounds like it is fertile and and fun, passionate and fun. You listen on the podcast, you get a little bit of a glimpse like people do with us. You know, we're basically who we are on this podcast. So hopefully that's what you're getting with. Pretty much. Their podcast is called, Did You Get My Text? And I, you know, I think this is the time in the in the podcast where we talk about our our you know, our sponsor, you know, which is the company that that we created in order to create courses that talk about the the tools that we use to be creative or healthy or in love. Yeah, a lot practice. of the time we talk about writing, and a lot of you do want to be writers, and and you you know the guy with the big bass voice will tell you where to find our writing course at the end of the podcast. But we also have a course that we just talked about that we just launched called Soulmate Process. The Soulmate Process. It is based on twenty five years of inquiry into as, as asking the question, how do we meet, and then using the the life writing methodology to tease out those aspects, looking at people who managed to find love and create love. And we created this course after after we've been married for 24 years, and we taught it live earlier this year during the summer just to test it. And when it blew people away, we said, okay, we're ready. So we took those live recordings and, and edited them. We have a beautiful platform for it. And I, I wish that if if finding love, and that love starts with loving yourself, by the or way. Or keeping love, keeping love. If you're already in a relationship, how do you That's make right. it even better? How do you make it even better? At www.soulmateprocess.com, you can find out about that. And I, I really hope that you'll take a look at it. If this is something that you want to create or sustain or nurture or grow or evolve in your lives, we're 100% sincere about this. It's unique. It's a five-week program where every week you'll get another module. And if you will do the work, we can show you the path to a life of lasting love. Yeah, if you check out the website at www.soulmateprocess.com, you'll see some testimonial videos up there. And I was just really, frankly, overwhelmed. It was a pretty small class we had for the summer and that three people felt so strongly that they did their videos like immediately and couldn't wait to talk about it and just to hear uh, and from different walks of life you know really i i'm i'm just so excited that people are feeling like the course is is helping them that that was the main thing is that we want to make people's lives better and make people happier so yeah check it out www.soulmateprocess.com other than that, I think, are we about ready to wrap up? I think we're ready to wrap up, hon. Um, it's been a just, great uh, podcast. Just get into our day, and uh, we have a meeting with our son coming up, because, you know, the family, to me, is the most important thing. If my family is okay, if my love is okay, then the rest of life is working just fine. I went 
to thank you again, sweetheart, for all the work you do on the podcast and line up our guests and editing and so forth. You know, you are, the family doesn't work without you. Well, who knew I was a podcast producer all these years? Who knew? knew? Everybody take care. Make yourself the hero or heroine in your own story. The hero in the adventure of your lifetime. And bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life.